Volume Two, Chapter Second of The Antiquary. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Antiquary by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter Second. And this doctor, your sooty, smoky bearded compeer, he would close you so much gold in a bolt's head, and on a turn convey in the stead another with sublimed mercury that shall burst e the heat and all fly out in fumo the alchemist how do you do good mr oldenbuck and i do hope your young gentleman captain m'intyre is getting better again ach it is a bad business when young gentlemen's will put lead balls into each other's body lead adventures of all kinds are very precarious mr dousterswivel but i am happy to learn continued the antiquary from my friend sir arthur that you have taken up a better trade and become a discoverer of gold ach mr oldenbuck mine good and honoured patron should not have told a word about dat little matter for though i have all reliance yes indeed on good mr oldenbuck's prudence and discretion and his great friendship for sir arthur wardour yet my heavens it is in great ponderous secret more ponderous than any of the metal we shall make by it i fear answered old buck das is just as you shall have de faith and de patience for de grand experiment if you join with sir arthur as he is put in one hundred and fifty see here is one fifty in your dirty fairport banknote you put one other hundred and fifty in de dirty notes and you shall have de pure gold and silver i cannot tell how much nor any one for you i believe said the antiquary but hark you mr dousterswivel suppose without troubling the same sneezing spirit with any farther fumigations we should go in a body and having fair daylight and our good consciences to befriend us using no other conjuring implements than good substantial pickaxes and shovels fairly trench the area of the chancel in the ruins of st ruth from one end to the other and so ascertain the existence of this supposed treasure without putting ourselves to any farther expense the ruins belong to sir arthur himself so there can be no objection do you think we shall succeed in this way of managing the matter bah you would not find one copper thimble but sir arthur will do his pleasure i have showed him how it is possible very possible to have de great sum of money for his occasions i have showed him de real experiment if he likes not to believe good mr oldenbuck it is nothing to herman dousterswivel he only loses de money and de gold and de silvers dat is all sir arthur wardour cast an intimidated glance at old buck who especially when present notwithstanding their frequent difference of opinion no ordinary influence over his sentiments in truth the baronet felt what he would not willingly have acknowledged that his genius stood rebuked before that of the antiquary he respected him as a shrewd penetrating sarcastic character feared his satire and had some confidence in the general soundness of his opinions he therefore looked at him as if desiring his leave before indulging his credulity dousterswivel saw he was in danger of losing his dupe unless he could make some favourable impression on the adviser 
I know, my good Mr. Oldenbuck, it is one vanity to speak to you about de spirit and de goblin, but look at his curious horn. I know you know de curiosity of all de countries, and how de great Oldenburg horn, as they keep still in the museum at Copenhagen, was given to the Duke of Oldenburg by one female spirit of de wood. Now I would not put one trick on you if I were willing, you who know all de curiosity so well. And dere it is, de horn, full of coins. If it had been a box or a case, I would have said nothing. Being a horn, said old Buck, does indeed strengthen your argument. It was an implement of nature's fashioning, and therefore much used among rude nations. Although it may be, the metaphorical horn is more frequent in proportion to the progress of civilization. And this present horn, he continued, rubbing it upon his sleeve, is a curious and venerable relic, and no doubt was intended to prove a cornucopia, or a horn of plenty, to someone or other. But whether to the adept or his patron may be justly doubted. Well, Mr. Oldenbuck, I find you still hard of belief, but let me assure you, de monkish understand a magisterium. Let us leave talking of the magisterium, Mr. Dousterswivel, and think a little about the magistrate. Are you aware that this occupation of yours is against the law of Scotland, and that both Sir Arthur and myself are in the commission of the peace? Mine heaven! And what is that to the purpose when I am doing you all the good I can? Why, you must know that when the legislature abolished the cruel laws against witchcraft, they had no hope of destroying the superstitious feelings of humanity on which such chimeras had been founded, and to prevent those feelings from being tampered with by artful and designing persons. It is enacted by the ninth of George the Second, Chapter 5, that whosoever shall pretend, by his alleged skill in any occult or crafty science, to discover such goods as are lost, stolen, or concealed, he shall suffer punishment by pillory and imprisonment, as a common cheat and impostor. "'And is that the laws?' asked Dousterswivel with some agitation. "'Thyself shall see the act,' replied the antiquary. "'Then, gentlemens, I shall take my leave of you. That is all. I do not like to stand on your, what you call, pillory. It is very bad way to take to air, I think. And I do not like your prisons no more.' where one cannot take to air at all. "'If such be your taste, Mr. Dousterswivel,' said the antiquary, "'I advise you to stay where you are, for I cannot let you go, unless it be in the society of a constable. And, moreover, I expect you will attend us just now to the ruins of St. Ruth, and point out the place where you propose to find this treasure.' "'Mine heaven, Mr. Oldenbuck, what use is this to your old friend, when I tell you so plain as I can speak, that if you go now, you will not get so much treasure as one poor shabby sixpence. I will try the experiment, however, and you shall be dealt with according to its success, always with Sir Arthur's permission. Sir Arthur, during this investigation, had looked extremely embarrassed, and, to use a vulgar but expressive phrase, chop-fallen. Old Buck's obstinate disbelief led him strongly to suspect the imposture of Dousterswivel, and the adept's mode of keeping his ground was less resolute than he had expected. 
yet he did not entirely give him up. "'Mr. Oldbuck,' said the baronet, "'you do Mr. Dousterswivel less than justice. He has undertaken to make this discovery by the use of his art, and by applying characters descriptive of the intelligences presiding over the planetary hour, in which the experiment is to be made. And you require him to proceed, under pain of punishment, without allowing him the use of any of the preliminaries, which he considers as the means of procuring success. I did not say that exactly. I only required him to be present when we make the search, and not to leave us during the interval. I fear he may have some intelligence with the intelligences you talk of, and that whatever may be now hidden at St. Ruth may disappear before we get there. Well, gentlemen's, said Dowster Swivel solemnly, I will make no objections to go along with you, but I tell you beforehand, you shall not find so much of anything as shall be worth your going twenty yard from your own gate. We will put that to a fair trial, said the antiquary, and the baronet's equipage being ordered, Miss Wardour received an intimation from her father that she was to remain at Monkbarns until his return from an airing. The young lady was somewhat at a loss to reconcile this direction with a communication which she supposed must have passed between Sir Arthur and the antiquary, but she was compelled, for the present, to remain in a most unpleasant state of suspense. The journey of the treasure-seekers was melancholy enough. Dowster Swivel maintained a sulky silence, brooding at once over disappointed expectation and the risk of punishment. Sir Arthur, whose golden dreams had been gradually fading away, surveyed in gloomy prospect the impending difficulties of his situation. And old Buck, who perceived that his having so far interfered in his neighbor's affairs, gave the baronet a right to expect some actual and efficient assistance, sadly pondered to what extent it would be necessary to draw open the strings of his purse. Thus each being wrapped in his own unpleasant ruminations, there was hardly a word said on either side, until they reached the four horseshoes, by which sign the little inn was distinguished. They procured at this place the necessary assistance and implements for digging, and while they were busy about these preparations, were suddenly joined by the old beggar, Eddie Ochiltree. "'The Lord bless your honour,' began the blue gown, with a genuine mendicant whine. "'And long life to ye. Will pleased am I to hear the young Captain Mintyres like to be on his legs again soon. Think on your poor beadsman the day.' "'Ah, old true penny,' replied the antiquary. "'Why, Thou hast never come to Monkbarns since thy perils by rock and flood. Here's something for thee to buy snuff. And fumbling for his purse, he pulled out at the same time the horn which enclosed the coins. Aye, and there's something to put it in, said the mendicant, eyeing the ram's horn. That looms an old acquaintance of mine. I could take my eighth to that Snishian mull among a thousand. I carried it for money a year till I niffered it for this tin, and with aid George Glen, the dammer and sinker, when he took a fancy to it down at Glen Withershins yonder. Ay, indeed, said old Buck, so you exchanged it with a miner? But I presume you never saw it so well filled before. And opening it, he showed the coins. Troth, you may swear that, Monkbarns, 
when it was mine it near had a boon the like a sack's penny worth a blacker appy in it at ince but i reckon ye'll be gone to make an antic o it as ye hae done with mony an o'er a thing besides oid i wish onybody would make an antic o me but mony ane will find worth in roasted bits o' capper and horn and ane that care unco little about an old carly or their ain country and kind you may now guess said old buck turning to sir arthur to whose good offices you were indebted the other night to trace this cornucopia of yours to a miner is bringing it pretty near a friend of ours i hope we shall be as successful this morning without paying for it and where's your honour's going the day said the mendicant with i your picks and shoes Hoid, this will be some of your tricks monkbarns you'll be for whirling some of the old monks down by yonder out of their graves afore they hear the last call but with your leave i's follow ye at ony rate and see what you make it the party soon arrived at the ruins of the priory and having gained the chancel stood still to consider what course they were to pursue next the antiquary meantime addressed the adept pray mr dousterswivel what is your advice in this matter shall we have most likelihood of success if we dig from east to west or from west to east or will you assist us with your triangular vial of maydew or with your divining rod of witch's hazel or will you have the goodness to supply us with a few thumping blustering terms of art which if they fail in our present service may at least be useful to those who have not the happiness to be bachelors to still their brawling children withal mr oldenbuck said dousterswivel doggedly i have told you already that you will make no good work at all and i will find some way of mine own to thank you for your civilities to me yes indeed if your honours are thinking of turning the floor said old eddie and would but take a poor body's advice i would begin below that mokostein that has the man there streak it out upon his back in the midst o't i have some reason for thinking favourably of that plan myself said the baronet and i have nothing to say against it said oldbuck it was not unusual to hide treasure in the tombs of the deceased many instances might be quoted of that from bartholinus and others the tombstone the same beneath which the coins had been found by sir arthur and the german was once more forced aside and the earth gave easy way to the spade it's travelled earth that said eddie it hoik sky ithly i ken it weel for ince i wrote a summer with old will winnet the bedroll and how get more graves than ine in my day but i left him in winter for it was uncou card work and then it came a green yule and the folk died thick and fast for ye ken a green yule makes a fat kirkyard and i never doubt to bide a hard turn o work in my life Sigh if I guide and left Will to delve his last dwellings by himself ready. The diggers were now so far advanced in their labours as to discover that the size of the grave which they were clearing out had been originally secured by four walls of freestone, forming a parallelogram for the reception probably of the coffin. It is worth while proceeding in our labours, said the antiquary to Sir Arthur, were it but for curiosity's sake. I wonder on whose sepulchre they have bestowed such uncommon pains. The arms on the shield, said Sir Arthur, and sighed as he spoke it. 
are the same with those on Mysticot's tower, supposed to have been built by Malcolm the usurper. No man knew where he was buried, and there is an old prophecy in our family that bodes us no good when his grave shall be discovered. I won't, said the beggar. I've often heard that when I was a bairn. If Malcolm's the Mysticot's grave were fun, the lands of Knockwinnock were lost in one. Old Buck, with his spectacles on his nose, had already knelt down on the monument, and was tracing, partly with his eye, partly with his finger, the mouldered devices upon the effigy of the deceased warrior. "'It is the Knockwinnock arms, sure enough,' he exclaimed, quarterly with the coat of Wardour. Richard, called the red-handed Wardour, married Sybil Knockwinnock, the heiress of the Saxon family, and by that alliance, said Sir Arthur, brought the castle and estate into the name of Wardour, in the year of God, 1150. Very true, Sir Arthur, and here is the batten sinister, the mark of illegitimacy, extended diagonally through both coats upon the shield. Where can our eyes have been that they did not see this curious monument before? Nay, where is the thrystain? "'that it didn't come before our ain till you now,' said Ochiltree. "'For I've kenned this eyed kirk, man and bairn, for saxty lang years, and I ne'er noticed it afore, and it's nigh sick moat neither, but what I might see it in their parage.' All were now induced to tax their memory as to the former state of the ruins in that corner of the chancel, and all agreed in recollecting a considerable pile of rubbish which must have been removed and spread abroad, in order to make the tomb visible. Sir Arthur might indeed have remembered seeing the monument on the former occasion, but his mind was too much agitated to attend to the circumstance as a novelty. While the assistants were engaged in these recollections and discussions, the workmen proceeded with their labour. They had already dug to the depth of nearly five feet, and as the flinging out the soil became more and more difficult, they began at length to tire of the job. "'We're down to the till now,' said one of them. "'And the nearer coffin, or anything else, is here. Some conninger child's been afore us, I reckon.' And the labourer scrambled out of the grave. "'Hout, lad,' said Eddie, getting down in his room, "'let me try my hand for an oid bedroom. You're good seekers, but you'll find us.' So soon as he got into the grave, he struck his pike-staff forcibly down. It encountered resistance in its descent, and the beggar exclaimed, like a Scotch schoolboy, when he finds anything, "'Nay halvers and quarters! Hail o' my nine, and nine o' my neighbours!' Everybody, from the dejected baronet to the sullen adept, now caught the spirit of curiosity, crowded round the grave, and would have jumped into it, could its space have contained them. The labourers, who had begun to flag in their monotonous and apparently hopeless task, now resumed their tools and plied them with all the ardour of expectation. Their shovels soon grated upon a hard wooden surface, which, as the earth was cleared away, assumed the distinct form of a chest, but greatly smaller than that of a coffin. Now all hands were at work to heave it out of the grave and all voices, as it was raised, proclaimed its weight and augured its value. They were not mistaken. 
When the chest or box was placed on the surface and the lid forced up by a pickaxe, there was displayed first a coarse canvas cover, then a quantity of oakum, and beneath that a number of ingots of silver. A general exclamation hailed a discovery so surprising and unexpected. The baronet threw his hands and eyes up to heaven, with the silent rapture of one who is delivered from inexpressible distress of mind. Old Buck, almost unable to credit his eyes, lifted one piece of silver after another. There was neither inscription nor stamp upon them, excepting one, which seemed to be Spanish. He could have no doubt of the purity and great value of the treasure before him. Still, however, removing piece by piece, he examined row by row, expecting to discover that the lower layers were of inferior value. But he could perceive no difference in this respect, and found himself compelled to admit that Sir Arthur had possessed himself of bullion to the value, perhaps of a thousand pounds sterling. Sir Arthur now promised the assistants a handsome recompense for their trouble, and began to busy himself about the mode of conveying this rich windfall to the castle of Knockwinnock, when the adept, recovering from his surprise, which had equalled that exhibited by any other individual of the party, twitched his sleeve, and, having offered his humble congratulations, turned next to Oldbuck with an air of triumph. "'I did tell you, my good friend Mr. Oldbuck, that I was to seek opportunity to thank you for your civility. Now do you not think I have found out very good way to return thank?' "'Why, Mr. Dousterswivel, do you pretend to have had any hand in our good success?' You forget you refused us all aid of your science, man, and you are here without your weapons that should have fought the battle which you pretend to have gained in our behalf. You have used neither charm, layman, sigil, talisman, spell, crystal, pentacle, magic mirror, nor geomantic figure. Where be your periaps and your abracadabras, man? Your mayfern, your vervain? your toad, your crow, your dragon, and your panther, your sun, your moon, your firmament, your drop, your lato, azotch, cernich, chibrit, houtrit, with all your broths, your minstrues, your materials, would burst a man to name. Ah, rare Ben Johnson, long peace to thy ashes for a scourge of the quacks of the day. Who expected to see them revive in our own? The answer of the adept to the antiquary's tirade we must defer to our next chapter. End chapter 2nd